Hi, I'm David, and I'm the host of the Cool Jobs Podcast, a conversation where we dive deep into some of the coolest jobs on the planet. This is the home for jobs you've never heard of, or ones you never thought about before. This podcast is for students, learners, dreamers, or anyone who's interested in finding out about the coolest jobs around. I'll be speaking with experts across a wide spectrum of career possibilities with the hope that you'll find inspiration for your own career. Thanks for joining in. Joining me today is Bill Paravano, knee pain guru. Bill, thanks so much for joining us for the Cool Jobs Podcast. We're excited you're here. Well, thanks, David. First things first, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are. Ah, it was uh, started in December of 1998 when I dislocated my left knee the first of four times. Hmm. Um, I, I didn't have any intention of getting into the knee pain industry or doing anything like that. Uh, I was invited by a friend of mine, uh, who was a chiropractor, ironically, to go skiing. And that's not something that I'd ever done much of or was very good at when I did do it. And the first run down the hill, mm. <laughs> I basically did a, a face plant, which ended up partially tearing the ligament in my left knee. Mm. Over the next four to five months, I partially tore it four more times and eventually completely tore through the ligament in my left knee and um, decided that would be a good time to go to a doctor to get it checked out to see what was going on. Because this is a podcast and people can't see me, I am I am grimacing at the idea of uh, four tears in your in your ligaments there. That uh, that must have been very painful. Well, the the experience of the tear, I don't think the tear itself hurts all that bad. It's the stepping and all of a sudden you find yourself on the ground not really understanding how you got there. Mm. That's the tricky part. <laughs> uh, there's a level of trauma that goes through that. There's a complete disconnect because mm. an average person, when they step, they trust their legs to be there, to support them to move them forward as they walk or they run or they move, however it is. And uh, over the period of that four to five months, I lost total trust in my need to be there to support, support mm. me. So I think that was, yes, the physical pain is there, but the uh, psychological and emotional component of that is far more damaging <laughs> to, to, uh, to who we are, well, who I was as, as a, a man in the world in his late 20s. Mm. So I'm sorry for interrupting you there. So tell us, uh, so you, you, are, uh, you decide to finally go to the doctor, and then what happens? Yes. So go to the, the, the last time I was playing shortstop, fielded a ground ball, threw to first base, the knee popped for the last time, mm. swelled up, I, you know, my teammates carried me off the field, and at that point, I was like, okay, well, I guess I need to go see a doctor, mm. find out what's going on with my knee. So I uh, went to see Dr. John Ellis. He's the orthopedic surgeon for the University of Louisville, the, the sports teams. So all of your University of Louisville Cardinals, the uh, football team, the basketball team, all their sports teams, when they have injuries like that, they need surgery, they go to this guy. Mm. So that's who I went to, and they do what's called a Lockman's test, and which is they check to see how the, the joint is intact, and well, mine wasn't. And he, um, after he did the test, he put my leg down and said, well, Bill, we could do an MRI, but it'd be a waste of money. 
you tore the ligament, the ACL, the ligament in your left knee. Mm. And at that point in my mind, I was traveling and competing in judo at that time in my life. Mm. Uh, that was my main love, love throwing people absolutely more than anything else in the world. And I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, I get the surgery, it'll repair what's going on with the knee and all of these issues that I'm dealing with will go away. That was what I thought at the time. Month later, I had the surgery, went great, did the physical therapy, went great. The left leg was in 80% of the strength of the right leg. And in my mind, that's what Dr. Ellis was saying. You get that, the ratio of strength in the legs and I'll, I'll, um, release you so you can go back to judo. And I'm like, yes, almost the finish line. <laughs> so I get released from physical therapy. And then I find out with the last appointment with Dr. Ellis was, oh, I need to get this titanium knee brace, Don Joy, big titanium knee brace to go on my knee in order to go back to judo. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, 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 hold on a minute. That's not what I thought. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it's like somebody moved the finish line. And I ended up getting Don Joy knee brace. Going back to judo with this big titanium knee brace really wasn't an option because just swinging my leg and hitting somebody with that, that was like, you know, wielding a sword. <laughs> Seems like an unfair advantage for yeah, you. Yeah. So that really wasn't an option. And in that point in time in my life, I had all of this extra time that I had normally spent going to judo practice, lifting weights, running, biking, exercising, and all that. And I started training, uh, learning, going to different workshops, healing workshops, holistic healing workshops, because I wanted to keep my mind busy. Mm -hmm. And I started going to different, uh, some were more grounded in Western medicine-ish, and then others were more esoteric in, in terms of their nature, just to kind of figure out, well, how can I get back to heal my knee to a place where I could get back on a judo mat and throw people? <laughs> that was my focus. Mm -hmm. And uh, that started my journey. That was in fall of 1999, um, after all the surgery, physical therapy, and now what I thought was the end result. And, and just to, just to recap with the Western medical model, Dr. Ellis did exactly what he said he was going to do. He mm -hmm. repaired the ligament in my left knee. They took out two pieces of meniscus to repair, trim all that up. Physical therapy did exactly what they said they were going to do. They got my knee, the strength balance in the knee, but I still had pain and swelling and tension and stiffness. And I was limping and difficult to to turn over at night, difficult to sleep. I mean, you could just imagine you got this thing, this knee that's just throbbing mm. a good portion of the day and just wasn't what I thought done looked like with, with my knee. Mm. So that's um, really where my journey began uh, was after all of what the Western medical model was able to offer and me making the progression to learning how to heal my knee with what the Western medical model couldn't offer. So it sounds like what you saw in your own experience was 
the opportunity to maybe move beyond what you think, what you were taught your whole life, which is go to the doctor, get the surgery, take the medicine, you're done. That kind of means to an end mindset when it comes to the way that someone heals. Absolutely. And that, like, there's, there's two realities. <laughs> what I found was that the Western medical model offered a reality that got you basically more of like a damage control. Mm. Like to get you out of this place where the ligament was torn and the meniscus was torn, just like if you got into an accident, you have a broken bone, you have um, an internal bleed. They, they want to do that to get you so you don't die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mechanically sound. They want to get you as back to an understanding of a mechanical function of normality as they can. Well, what I found is in following that, at the end of that road, there was still this, uh, st uh, there was still a wanting. There was still like, wait, wait, wait a minute. This can't be it. Mm -hmm. This can't how, this can't be how I'm going to feel the rest of my life. And it led me on a journey to kind of go off that path because normal, normally people stay on that path and they accept their knee for the way it is. And this is just how it is because I had the surgery and I had the injuries and this is what happens when I get older and it's just stiff like this and there's just pain and there's nothing I can do. And I'll try some supplements or I'll, you know, think I need to strengthen the leg in some way. And that, that's it. All I can expect and if we're only looking in that reality of the Western medical model, that person is absolutely correct. Hmm. Eventually, the joint aches enough and starts to wear away because it's getting dehydrated. That arthritis sets in. The joint wears away more, eventually bone on bone. And then you're looking at a knee replacement surgery when you're old enough. Hmm. That's the conventional medical model. It's a very, very successful and lucrative business model. Like, I get this. I'm mm -hmm. not faulting them <laughs> uh, for having a very successful and lucrative business model. But in the process, the person who is going down that business model is feeling like they're disempowered, that they don't know what to do. And that's just kind of how it is. They're, they're, they're setting the bar very low mm -hmm. for the expectation of how their body is going to feel, how their knee is going to function and operate. And they end up uh, with a lot of pain and injuries and that leads, it's a cascade of other things that happen along that path that eventually leads to a knee replacement where they saw off the bones and replace it with plastic and metal. Mm. I mean, it's just a barbaric procedure. And you would think that they, uh, they meaning the Western medical model, would have something a little bit better Mm -hmm. than that process. And, you know, there's drugs and there's shots and there is physical therapy, but that is at best a Band-Aid mm -hmm. on addressing the underlying cause of what's going on. So tell us a little bit about the journey. What was that? What was that? Were you traveling the world and, and, and hiking, you know, up Mount Kilimanjaro and finding uh, soothsayers or what was your, um, what was your process like? In October of 1999, mm -hmm. I ended up in a workshop and it was, it was a body work workshop and I get in the class 
And the instructor goes, orthobionomy, founded by a British osteopath who was also a judo instructor. And he took the principles of judo and applied it to an osteopathic concept and developed an entire style of bodywork. Well, I kind of got, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know really? what judo is. <laughs> really? I'm, I'm familiar with that term. The irony of it is I was in a classroom full of doctors and physical therapists and massage therapists and nurses and chiropractors, all these people who were like heads and tails above me in terms of knowing anatomy and physiology and medical terms and this and that. And at the time, I owned a computer company. Mm -hmm. I was living in Louisville, Kentucky and owned a computer company. And I remember going up to the instructor after the class and saying, you know, are you sure it's okay that I'm here? Because you said scapula and I'm asking, like, I'm raising my hand, like, which bone is that? <laughs> so so uh, she said, yeah, you'll just be fine. Just trust it. You'll, you'll be just fine. And that was true because all of those people that were in the class ended up not continuing I was the only one that continued because primarily I had nothing to unlearn. There was nothing in my brain telling me, oh, the body doesn't work that way or the body doesn't function that way. I was just listening to what the teacher said and went and tried it and was like, oh, wow, look at <laughs> what just happened, which were these amazing things working specifically with the neurology of the body, the reflexes. Like when the doctor taps your knee with the hammer, these reflexes are constantly firing. The person listening to this podcast, their reflexes are firing, taking in this information. Our communication back and forth on this podcast is firing reflexes in both of us. Mm -hmm. These reflexes fire constantly in our body, either telling our body to tense up or relax. So these reflexes are happening all the time. And when we have an injury, an accident, a trauma, a surgery, there is reflexes that ripple in the body telling the body to tense up to protect, in my case, the knee from that experience of dislocating it four times and then having a reconstructive surgery on the ligament in my left knee. Mm -hmm. So I had no like, oh, well, I'm supposed to strengthen the the glutes and the adductors before we start to do all this other stuff. I didn't have any of that. Mm -hmm. I was going, oh, I just twist the knee a little bit like this and and then look for the, this other thing, these reflexes to engage. I was like, cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm game. Mm -hmm. That allowed me, without that preconceived notion of how the body worked, I was able to pick up the information a lot quicker. And especially because it was based on judo principles, mm -hmm. which that's all I had studied up, you know, up to that point. I was in judo about eight to 10 years ish, somewhere around when um, I, I ran across orthobionomy. So that was, that was into my training. I, I didn't really have a direction at that time. I just like learning. Mm -hmm. Learning is mm -hmm. extremely cool to me. You show me something that is kind of out of the ordinary and I'm all about it. Mm -hmm. I want to learn how, how it works, how it all is put together. And that started a journey of me traveling around the US, uh, Hawaii, and around Europe, studying this orthobionomy, this osteopathically based style of bodywork. So there had to have been something that clicked for you. 
that said, all right, so I'm learning this and I'm really enjoying it and it's working for me and I'm, I'm having a lot of, you know, success in that. Why turn it into a business? Like what was the, what was it that clicked for you that said, all right, I need to make this my, my goal for the future. Yeah. That was another 10 years down the road. before. <laughs> I so initially where, where I was coming from the, the computer company, mm-hmm. I had employees, I had insurance, I had overhead, I like I I mean went down the laundry list of all of the things that I was dealing with mm-hmm. with the computer business. The market, the price change, the markup like and it was it was driving me nuts in addition to my knee. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, you know, it sounds a much cooler to be able to work with people one on one. Like in a, a format where I have a massage table and they're letting me know what's going on with their knee or the back of their neck, and I'm able to help them out of pain. Mm-hmm. That sound that sounded infinitely less stressful and more along the lines of what uh, really resonated with me at that time than dealing with all of the other headaches of the business world. Because the business world, for the most part, it's it's kind of cutthroat. And mm-hmm. when people stab you in the back and there were a lot of ethical stuff and, you know, and I didn't like that. I didn't like having to show up every day and be on guard mm-hmm. that somebody's going to screw me over in some way. So working with people one-on-one, people that I enjoyed working with, helping them out of pain sounded like a much more rewarding, rewarding experience in terms of making a living than, than the, the business world that I was leaving. Sure. So I ended up in spring of 2000, I sold that computer business and I went and I traveled for two and a half years, which was a pretty cool experience of not having to work for two and a half years. And I was traveling around and I was studying this orthobionomy, which got me really relaxed and felt really cool. And I was going to these cool places and meeting nice people and things like that. And um, I ended up going back to Louisville, Kentucky, set up my shingle and started working on clients. But there was a little bit of a glass ceiling with that. There's only so many people I could see in a week and I still had to do marketing and I still needed to do all of these things that kind of looked like a business. But I I was like, okay, there's got to be something more in there. I felt this frustration in what I was doing. I ended up pursuing being an instructor of the work. Mm-hmm. I was already teaching martial arts. Now I was going to teach the body work as well. But there was, um, it was somewhere around 2007 or 2008 that I came across a business training online. Mm. And it was talking about how you can basically put your knowledge or your education or a format in a way where you could begin to help people all over the world. The internet was 95, 96 started coming on strong, which is when I was catching the the wave with my computer business. But by 2000, the prices were dropping. And then now it was more of an information format, coaching, training, eBooks, videos, things like that. And I was like, oh, well, that sounded pretty cool. That kind of cut out all the inventory and mm-hmm. it was just a different format for it. So I um, ended up thinking about my life to that point and what was the big experience that changed the direction of everything that I was going. And I came up with my knee, like everything that I was doing at that point in my life had 
drastically changed as a direct result of my knee injury. Mm. And uh, with some real great conversations with close friends and all that, the knee pain guru was born in 2008. Hmm. So it sounds to me like you you kind of used your lived experience to uh, to come up with the idea. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, what iterations it's gone through since you started it. Well, th- there's definitely an evolution mm. that I've gone through. Think of it like a spiral staircase. You know, you walk around and you may be at that same point in the circle mm-hmm. evolve. You're looking at it from a higher perspective. So that's what my business has been. And in the process of doing that and different technologies that come out, it allows me to use those technologies and plug it into a system. Mm-hmm. That was a big piece. The jack of all trades thing is definitely um, a factor. However, if you begin to use the technology in a way that you're plugging that technology into a system, it helps take out some of those questions Mm -hmm. that people have and move people down a continuum to build that trust so they would be signing up for the program so they can get the help that they want. Right. Like I realize I could help them. It's just getting them to realize I can help. Right. Well, and I'd imagine that's part of your, you know, you're, you're trying to overcome that. It's more than just overcoming an objection, right? Like you have to be more than just a salesperson. You have to be more than just um, someone who understands the psychology. You, you have to kind of bridge those gaps in a way that inspires trust and inspires loyalty and, and also inspires them to be willing to do it without you watching. <laughs> you know, physical therapy is something that, you know, you're working with someone who is monitoring your progress and is pushing you to do things in a certain way. And if something is online and I, you know, we finish a call and then it's up to me, um, mm. there has to be a, la- a layer of motivation and a layer of trust there that is beyond just the sale or beyond just the psychology of your process. Sure. And I think, I think what, and this has been my own process, my own personal growth thing. It's really telling people the truth. Mm. Like I tell them this program is not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like someone is looking for a quick fix or a magic pill. Mm. This isn't it. Mm. Someone's looking for a drug, a shot, a surgery, physical therapy. This is not it. You have to take personal responsibility for the outcome of what's going on with your knee. We have to gather the information, which the information required for us to build a solid foundation for you to move forward to one, get out of pain, and then two, begin to work through those hurdles that you're invariably going to run into that are on a physical, mental, and emotional level. Mm. You know, you start talking about that in a in a society that is very much quick fix. I want to. I want this done yesterday. My messaging allows me to vet the people that are looking for the quick fix. Mm. A lot of people they they look to just get like they want me to diagnose their knee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I. I can't tell you what's going on with your knee. <laughs> and even if you send me an MRI, a CT scan, or an x-ray, I'm not going to be able to tell you because that's not my training. Mm. That's why you need to do your due diligence and go to the doctor and find out if something is broken or torn in your knee or not. 
So we're utilizing the medical model for what the medical model is good for. Mm-hmm. Once you determine what your diagnosis is, then we can work. Whether something is broken or torn or not, mm-hmm. we can develop a holistic natural strategy to begin working with all of those things as to the mental and emotional patterns that are causing you to continually push your body to such an extent that you injure it and mm-hmm. re-injure it and injure it again to the point where you got this knee injury that's not going away. Right, right, right. So we got to look at those other elements because it's easy to get the knee out of pain. It's not so easy for people to change the environment and those mental emotional patterns that caused them to do the things that created the need to begin with. Sure. And I, I can imagine that some of your some of your role is physical work that, that is done. And but I can imagine that some of it is almost a little bit of counseling. It's a it's a little bit of working with folks to move beyond the way that they see things or have seen things in a in a way that, that a counselor might see um trauma or see pain or, or, um, emotional concerns. Absolutely. And I can provide that support. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I do make it clear to my clients (laughs) that I will be their best cheerleader. Mm. If I see them stuck in a place where they need cheerleading, Mm -hmm. but I will also be a drill instructor if need be, because there's a lot of people that are perpetuating patterns of nurturing they didn't get when they were a little kid (laughs) and they show up and they act like children. Mm. And that's, that's, they, they don't need to be beat up per se, but they do need to have clear boundaries set as to what is supporting their healing process of their knee or what is perpetuating a pattern that is keeping them stuck. Mm. It's a fine line. You could begin to feel this distinction in interacting with someone as to whether it's kind of like eh, tugging. (laughs) It's kind of like tugging you, pulling you off center. All of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel quite right. How did, how did this get here? But it's, it's the process of going through those interactions for me, going through those interactions with clients and clients online over the years to determine what's my stuff and what's theirs. Mm. And when I'm clear about my stuff, and this is really cool part about the work that I do is it dissipates those tension patterns within yourself because those physical man- manifestation of those tension patterns in the body is directly connected with our mind and our emotions. So the more we could free up those physical tension patterns, the more we can get clear and feel centered and balanced and grounded in ourselves, then the moment we interact with someone that's kind of like, eh, you know what? They're kind of doing it. They're, mm. they're, they're manipulating the situation. And this isn't, <laughs> this isn't gender specific. Sure. This happens both sides of the equation. Right. But you could begin to recognize those patterns. And when you recognize those patterns, there's the ability to disconnect from those patterns and get yourself centered and balanced and then re-engage the world in a centered and balanced way to determine when those little hooks happen. Hmm. I know we got kind of deep there, but no, no, I like it. Uh, that's neat. I, I like the idea of 
it, it's a little bit interdisciplinary, right? Like there's the idea that, you know, you're uh, wearing some different hats at the same time, right? I mean, you're, you're cheerleader and counselor and coach and, right. it, uh, you know, marketer and <laughs> supervisor. And, you know, the idea that uh, in this role that you have, you can be kind of aware of more than just uh, just the one thing that you're kind of focusing on for that one moment um, when you're working with your clients. And I think that's really neat. I like the idea of bringing your whole self to their whole self. And I think that that mm. is, uh, that's really neat. I like that. So what's an idea uh, or an example that, uh, that you thought would be a total winner and that turned out to be a complete dud? <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm so many to choose from. <laughs> oh and then God. I'll give you the chance to to answer the opposite question, which is maybe one that you thought might be a little iffy, but uh, totally worked out. Yeah. Um, gosh, I I created several DVD series that were recorded, and and it was that that pattern of mine that I didn't look at look at it in terms of a system mm. where I created. DVD series, you know, go through the whole thing of shooting the videos and creating all the artwork and getting it to a place they could print it and, and all of that, but not understanding the, the follow through of it. And, and it got me really kind of tripped up. Mm. Uh, and I did that over and over again. Like I did that multiple times over the past 12 years. Mm. And there was this part of and it's not a giving up, but it's a resignation of accepting what is, mm. what was in my business. Like just looking around and going, oh, I'm really putting a lot of time, energy, and effort into this thing that I'm trying to make and get to work. It's not. Mm. So the thing that worked was the thing that I finally was like, oh, that's working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't need to put any energy into that. <laughs> that thing is working and how can I begin to tweak and adjust the thing that's already working and see how I can morph it into what would make me happy? I guess it was realizing that speaking with clients one-on-one, -on -one, mm. like people that were coming off the internet to speak with them, that I had a, a, a really high conversion rate speaking with them one-on-one -on -one into my programs. I was more successful in doing that than I was relying on traffic coming straight off the internet and them doing that. However, the one-on-one -on -one calls exhaust me because I'm putting this energy into each person with the intent that I'm, I want to help them. Yet not everybody that would take a complimentary call sure. is vested in that level of commitment that I show up to the call in. So I've transitioned that to uh, YouTube. As of recently, this is this is as of recent that I'm answering questions that people, I guess, creating a, a online presence I've had since 2008 on YouTube, but doing it more like in time, like live videos, which kind of takes place of the one-on-one -on -one calls. <clears throat> Excuse me, one-on-one -on -one calls, and I can still do the one-on-one -on -one calls. However, if you want to set up a time to talk to me, well, it's going to cost you because right. I value my time, energy an effort that I'd put into showing up for those calls. And I would imagine that the calls now probably have a lot more um, informed questions and probably have a lot more 
they've done some research. They've looked at your website. They've done, you know, they've been on your, on your YouTube live uh, streams and things like that. Like I, I would imagine that you have a different type of conversation now than the kind of prospecting calls and things like that, that you had done uh, previously. Totally. It's, it's an evolved conversation. Uh, one, they're more likely to show up on the call. <laughs> that was another one. Oh boy. I really struggled with that. Like I, set things aside and ready for the call and then nobody and then you know follow up leave a message send them an email never hear anything and i'm like Mm. ugh. and a big part of it this goes back into what i was talking about it's how do we value our time like what do i what do i want to do how do i want to spend my day you know i i off people want to talk to me i'm happy to talk to them and and really outline the strategy and that strategy could be the conventional medical model. I spoke with someone uh, just a few weeks ago that they knew they tore the meniscus in their knee and they wanted to know, well, like, what is the best strategy? They wanted to weigh out all the options. They were afraid to have a surgery. So I could talk them through the whole process with that. Mm-hmm. Or the person was like, my knee hurts. And where do you go from here? How do mm-hmm. you start gathering all the information that you need to implement and move forward with this because people get paralyzed, paralyzed in in fear, concern, and worry about the unknown. And and then there's other people that it's like, well, I I want a solution. Like, how can you help me? Great. Yeah. This, I got a program that Hmm. this is how it works and we can um, start moving forward as soon as you want to. So it, it all depends on what they need support in when they get on that call. Makes sense. All right. So we've explored a little bit about, you know, your business and about your background and and how you got to be kind of where you are. Um, This podcast is really geared toward, you know, students at UNC Asheville, and we are the public liberal arts and sciences university in North Carolina. I wonder if you could just kind of highlight for our listeners uh, in what way you say that you use your degree. I got a degree in business finance from the university of Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. From what I studied, I, I was a little disenchanted <laughs> at the graduation that I was going to be using my degree differently. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I realized it was almost like when I got my black belt in judo, like I, I got to be an advanced student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so once I graduated, I still had to like figure out a skill or a, a craft that I wanted to get into. I, I did when I started the... Um, the computer company, I learned the value of the credit card float. <laughs> and I uh, started the computer business on um, credit cards. Mm. Um, but that's, there was a lot of factors and timing that went into that. Right now, I think it's just understanding the different workings of a business. Even though I have a degree in business finance, it, it seems like I'm, I've learned almost from the ground, like starting over in terms of an internet business. Because I, when I graduated college in the um, mid-90s, the world is a very different place than it was <laughs> back in the mid-90s. So mm-hmm. my ability to be adaptive to like what's going on and using the analytics that are available on websites and all that, it's a completely different animal than it was uh, back when I graduated. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the idea of the, of adaptability though. The thought that, you know, you took, you took what you learned and you were able to change 
that into the into the modern parlance and in the business that you're using now, even though your profit and loss statements look very different. Uh, the mm-hmm. idea that, that you learn those uh, in your undergrad sounds like it was helpful um, for you going forward. So a couple of more questions and then we'll turn you loose here. Um, I'm curious who you think might have a cool job and why. What's been intriguing to me and especially in the world that we live in right now It's the ability to create a presence, a public presence, and understanding that public presence in a way to monetize it. Mm. You know, people do it, um, podcasters, um, (laughs) public speakers, people who write books, and and how they understand that the... their, their audience and their market and all of these types of things in a way to attract sponsors and uh, donors and like their audience in a, in a way that is the same and or different than customers. Mm. That, that has been kind of a, a fascinating thing. And you see it a lot on these uh, platforms like YouTube or Instagram or people that, create this following out of this persona of whether it's real or contrived (laughs) um, in a way that they're able to monetize these things or influence things Mm. that I find intriguing at the very least (laughs) and being able to work, work with that. There's um, something I'm, I'm kind of grasping at wrapping my head around it. Knee pain isn't the exact, uh, isn't the exact trending keywords um, to uh, attract, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people every time I launch a video. So that that's interesting to me. However, it's translatable Mm. because there are people in the, healthcare, lifestyle, health and wellness fields that translated their background or their skill to a platform like that um, to understand those the type of job that you're talking about or that type of livelihood to be able to create hmm. for yourself. So that, yeah. that that's what I think. That's I have my eyes on people and I watch a lot. I find it really cool hmm. how they do that. Yeah, the uh, the thought of a of an influencer, you know, five years, even five years ago, uh, as being someone's entire job is uh, it was a concept that could have never been thought of, yeah. um, and then it just kind of happened organically. Um, it's a neat that content creation and influence game is a that's an interesting cool job for sure. <laughs> yeah, like I got the content creation part down. Mm-hmm. Like I crank out content all day long. <laughs> The influencing people, I, I I have a real challenge doing like something silly or something like a gimmick or something mm. that will all of a sudden it'll be like this catchy thing. <laughs> That's just, I struggle with that. I It's not in my personality to do <laughs> mine either. I, I think there's a, there is something to vi- the idea of virality where, you know, something goes viral and it's really, it, you know, kind of blows up quickly and, you know, it becomes this, uh, this kind of meme of itself and then it fizzles out and, and goes away. And also expertise is rarely viral. Um, and so the idea that, you know, you, you can, build it slowly, you know, build a, build a, um, an audience, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit at a time is, is a lot more sustainable, um, long-term, I think. 
it's probably yeah. a, a good strategy for it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I'm just I I look at people who have these hundreds of thousands or millions of subscribers on YouTube, and I'm just like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I I'm somewhere between 21 and 22,000. Hey. my youtube channel which mm-hmm. is over a 12 year period which isn't like setting set it isn't setting the internet on fire <laughs> however it it's it's a reasonable amount of people mm-hmm. yeah i'm just learning that whole dance and i think it keeps well, you as a lifelong learner too which i think yeah. is uh it's uh, if anything is going to be constant it is that it's going to change so yeah <laughs> Well, uh, I want to finally just give you the opportunity to uh, share with our listeners how people can learn more about the knee pain guru. Sure. Uh, well, there's a couple ways. One is they can go to my website, thekneepainguru.com. There's 12 years worth of information as far as blog posts and all that kind of stuff up on the, the website. I could be found on social media, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. I also have a nonprofit that I run here in the Asheville area. It's called the Camella Foundation. You could be found at the camellafoundation.org. Camella is C-O-M-E-L-L-A, the Camella Foundation. <clears throat> so I'm there as well. That one's focused on chronic pain in the body in general. Mm, you can move beyond the knee pain guru. I like that. <laughs> yes, uh, that that's been interesting because the world of nonprofits is another wild west of <laughs> understanding how money flows. Mm. Where it's that money, it's energy. How energy flows, where people's attention are, what they're willing to put their energy towards. So that's a whole different ball game there that I'm learning how that all how that all works. So that's been an interesting. Uh, endeavor over the past year that I've been learning. Hmm. Very learning. cool. Well, we'll have to uh, have you back sometime to talk about the Camilla Foundation. That'll be that'll be fun to learn more about for sure. Oh, yeah, we got lots to talk about there. Boy, that's been a lessons there. Thank you, Bill, for sharing your time, your expertise, and your cool job with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Cool Jobs Podcast, a service of the Career Center at UNC Asheville. Like what you heard? Give us a like, share with your friends, and subscribe. Next time, we'll be talking to Joshua Cantor, international travel educator. So be sure to check it out. See you next time.